0: people like on this planet there's like life There's like like we don't have to go to space to see life it's like right here thank you for being here today man it's this place looks full you I tell you 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 preach here for two months with nobody in the room this is full like y'all need to spread out some y'all got enough room if, thank you for worshiping with us online, continue to do that, so I invite all of us to take our copy of God's Word and open to 2 Timothy uh, chapter number 3, and we're going to look at the last uh, eight verses of this chapter, verse 10 through 17, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, uh, this morning, verse 10 through verse 17, wow, I mean, what, how about these last seven days? I mean, what a week, huh? I mean, last Sunday, for example, I preached a sermon entitled Nineteen Contagions that I fear more than COVID-19. This week, COVID-19 has been forgotten like Wes Ford's birthday on December 25th, right? <laughs> Wes is one of our pastors, and, and if if he was born on Christmas Day, if your if your birthday is Christmas Day, that's it's gonna be overshadowed by somebody else's birthday, the Lord Jesus, it was celebrated on that day. Uh, certainly, so COVID-19 has just been—it's just been buried under this groundswell of anger upon anger and brutality upon brutality and chaos upon chaos and destruction and evil and fear and protest and looting and riots and racism and and storms and trouble upon trouble. I mean, is anyone else ready for real change in this world? If you're ready to see some real change, just Wave your hand, throw your hand up in there. If you're online, throw up a thumbs up or a hand clap online or something. If you're ready for real change. Yeah, we we want change, don't we? I mean, we really, we're hungry for change, but we really don't want to change. As long as change doesn't affect me, change it all you want. Yeah, I want change, but do we really want to change? So that's what I'm going to speak to you about this Sunday. We want change. Uh, But we don't want to change. We will not change. That, my dear friends, must change. G.K. Chesterton said it like this, and I quote, Dear sirs, what's wrong with the world? I am. That's what's wrong with the world. Uh, I'm wrong with it. You're wrong with it. We're wrong with it. Like, if we won't change in the world, we need to change in our world, in your world, in my world. We need to change. So Paul is really hammering to Timothy the difference between godlessness and godliness ungodly examples and godly examples darkness and light false teachers and truth teachers so the first half of chapter 3 is about all the godlessness and the false teaching and the darkness and then verse 10 through 17 is about a godly example it's about the word 1 through 9 is about the world 10 through 17 is about the word and about the light And about the truth. And so Paul makes a contrast right here in the middle of chapter number three as he's pouring into this young Timothy, uh, this pastor. So I'm gonna start reading in verse number 10, and you please follow along in 2 Timothy chapter three, and here we go. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience. is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Father, we're so grateful for the reading of your word. We're so grateful for our ability to hear it and believe it and obey it. So God, help us respond today. These are not just words on a page that we've read. This is the living Word of God. I pray that you'd grant repentance today for those who need to repent. God, we pray that you would help us change. We pray that you would help us evaluate where we are with you. We pray that you would help us weigh our priorities And rethink what's important and what's not. God, help us today to pursue you and your word. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. So what I want to do today is just point out four considerations of real change that we ought to consider. Number one, change begins with us. It just begins with us. Paul, in verses 1-9, through is pretty dark and glim and gloomy. Right? And, and, and he says, look, in the last days are going to be times of difficulty. And then he lists them out. And then he says in verse 10, you, however, Timothy, and that's a singular pronoun, you. It's singular. It's talking to one person, Timothy. You, however, have followed, and look what Paul does. He includes himself. See the pronoun, my. Pay attention to pronouns. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct. Paul isn't pointing to somebody else. Paul isn't shugging. Shugging off the responsibility of discipling Timothy to someone else. Paul discipled Timothy. So says, Timothy, you have watched me. You have seen my life, my aim, my life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions. You've seen it all. So you, however, live differently than the world. Now you might think, well, what difference can one make, right? I mean, think about it. <laughs> one minute. Just think about one minute. Not a lot you can do with one minute. You can notice One minute. If if you do burpees for one minute, you'll notice it. <laughs> if you plank for one minute, you'll notice it. But it's really not a whole lot of time to do a whole lot with is a minute. But if you combine all the minutes around the world, here's, what's ha- here's what happens in a minute around the world. 58 airplanes take off in the next minute. 116 people will get married in the next minute. 144,000 people will move to a new home in the next minute. 11,319 packages will be delivered by UPS in the next minute. Most of them to my house. (laughs) 243,000 photos will be uploaded to Facebook in the next minute. 5 million pounds of garbage will be created in the next minute. Over 7 billion hearts will beat. In the next minute, they'll beat over 500 billion times. They'll produce over 858 quadrillion new red blood cells in just a minute. One minute. The power of one minute. I mean, think about one. Think about, I wonder if Adam ever believed, if he had any idea, that all this would have happened from one bite. One bite. Think about one testimony what difference that makes think about one sinner who repents what happens in heaven when one sinner repents man the power of one one good cop can make all the difference one bad cop can make all the difference one testimony one church one baptism can make all the difference so paul saying timothy you can make a difference like you can man like you can through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, you can make a difference. You've seen me walk. Paul says, listen, i put feet to the faith. I've, I've finished the race. You've seen the conduct, my aim in life. You've seen me live this out. You've seen my patience. Now, Paul needed a lot of patience. If you've ever been fishing, uh, it takes some patience to go fishing, especially if you want to catch some big Fish. It takes patience. And Paul is fishing for bigger fish. Paul is fishing for men and women and boys and girls. And that took a lot of patience. We see his love and his faithfulness and his endurance. Paul's saying, You've even seen my persecutions. Isn't that so encouraging that God knows what you've been through? He knows where you've been, He knows what you've been through. Paul says, You've seen what happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. Is that the only places Paul was persecuted? No. But Timothy intimately knew those places. The Lord intimately knows you and he knows where you've been and what you've been through. So trust in him. And then he says, these persecutions, you've seen them. However, the Lord has delivered me from them all. Man, isn't that exciting that the Lord rescued him from all those persecutions. Now at this time, Paul's in a dark, dingy, damp Roman prison. He knows his only way out of there is through death to be martyred for his faith. He knows that. He knows he's going to be put to death. He's already being poured out like a drink offering, he says. He says, the time of my departure has come. I've fought the fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. So he knows it's the end, but for Timothy, it's not. And so he's saying, Timothy, you can, you can take this change and this gospel and continue. Don't stop. You know, Linus threw a stick for Snoopy to go retrieve. And Snoopy, before it took off after the stick, paused and thought about it for a moment and said, you know, I want people to think more of me when I'm gone. And he was, you know, a pretty nice dog. He just chased sticks, right? Paul is not just chasing sticks. He's not just aimlessly living his life. He says, you've seen my aim in life. My conduct to forget what is behind, to strain toward what is ahead, to endure to the end, to finish the race, to keep the faith. Paul had a purpose. The gospel gave him a purpose and hope and a future. Do the same for you. And it begins with you. It begins with me. Change begins with us. Here's what I want you to see in verse 10, 11, 12, and 13. I don't know if you realize this. But for some people in your life, the only Bible they will ever read is you. Paul says, you've seen my life. You've seen my conduct. You've seen my faith. You've seen my love. You've seen my patience. Hey, somebody's watching you. Like you've claimed to follow Christ, and somebody in your life is watching. They're looking in to see if this is really true. Your faith, your love, your patience, your endurance. Your aim in life, your conduct, they're watching you. Like, know that, someone is watching you, they're looking into your life to see if there's been a change, to see if there's something real about this Christianity. And Paul says, hey, you've seen me live this way. You do realize that I've been changed, and Timothy, you have too. And then what's fascinating to me is the end of this, verse 13. He says, the bad and the worse are those evil and impostors who will go on deceiving and being deceived. Like Paul says, the worst part isn't the persecution. Like the increased persecution, that's not a big deal because the Lord's going to deliver us from all of them. Ultimately, he'll rescue us for all of eternity, even if we're martyred for the faith. Paul says the worst of it is, is there are people that are deceived. They're being deceived deceived, and they're continuing to be deceived, and they're imposters, and they're going from bad to worse. That's the worst part for Paul, is not the persecution. Because listen, here's the truth. The Lord delivers us through hardship, and through pain, and through suffering. Not from them, but through them, if you're in Christ. He'll do that for you, if you'll put your faith in him. So Paul is being very with Timothy because they had that kind of relationship and accountability, a discipleship discipler type of relationship change begins with us July 14, 2013 Van Neal is a season ticket holder for the Major League Baseball Cleveland Indians and on one game in 2013 he changed his regular seats with another season ticket holder like they switched seats for one game and it put van on the third baseline and in all his years of being a season ticket holder and all the games he'd been to thousands of games he had never caught one foul ball never once until this one game and sitting on the third baseline he didn't catch one foul ball not two not three but four foul balls in one ga- in the same game now the odds of you catching one foul ball in a pro game one in a thousand Odds of you catch him four one in a trillion in one game And he called all four. Now, some of you this morning, uh, and he called all four all because he changed seats. So some of you today have changed seats. You're not sitting where you normally sit. I know that probably wasn't your idea. I get that, but you've changed seats. Some of you at home have changed seats to some degree through this COVID-19. We've all had to change, right? I want to challenge us to think about for a moment, what if we removed ourselves from the seat of the throne of our heart and allow the Lord Jesus to take his rightful place. Just think about the possibilities, the one in a trillion that could happen in your life if you totally surrendered to the Lord Jesus. Paul says, Timothy, change begins with us. D.L. Moody said it like this, I've never met a man who has given me as much trouble as myself. Right? Right? Change begins with us. Number two, change doesn't end with us. Here's the discipleship aspect of Paul and Timothy's relationship. Change doesn't end with us. The gospel came to you. Grace came to you. Mercy came to you. Kindness came to you. The love of God came to you. He first loved so we could love. He first was merciful so we could be merciful. He first was kind so we could be kind. He was first gracious so we could be gracious. The gospel came to us so it could go to somebody else. Like, it doesn't end with us. It continues with Now, again, Paul knows he's about to die, but he knows Timothy's not. And so this is going to continue with Timothy. And here's how Paul says it in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you've learned. Continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Oh, church, from childhood, Timothy was poured into by his mother and his grandmother, most likely coming to faith in Christ during that time, as uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 seems to suggest. And then Paul comes along and disciples Timothy as his son in the faith. How important it is that our children and grandchildren are pointed to Jesus from the womb. I mean from the womb. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Man, you need to pray over your unborn children. Read Scripture to them when they're in the womb. Read Scripture to them when they get out of the womb. Pour the Word of God over them. And then when they get old enough, teach them to feed themselves and study the Word. And journal through the Word. And read Scripture. And Man, it's our responsibility to make sure our children are bathed in the Word of God. And then then Paul says, continue in that, continue in what you've learned, remain in it, stay in it, abide in it. That's what Jesus said, abide in me. If I abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Man, just abide, stay, continue. Don't stop, press on, finish the race, endure to the end. Continue in this. Don't be like Hymenaeus and Philitos who turned away. From the truth but continue in what you've learned from childhood how you were acquainted with the sacred writings and why should we? Why should we point our children and grandchildren to the truth of the word of God? Why should we? Here's why. Look at the end of verse number 15 which are able to make you wise for salvation I want you to indicate to me if you want your child and grandchild to be saved By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Would you raise your hand if you want your children and grandchildren to be saved at home? If you throw up a thumbs up or a hand clap on the chat. Yes, we want our children and grandchildren. We want them to become wise to salvation. And the way to do that is written right here. It comes by way of the Word of God. The Word of God makes us wise to salvation. The Word of God tells us, hey, you were created... In the image of God. Like male and female, you were made in His image. In the image of God, He created you. Wow. But just like Adam and just like Eve, we have gone away from Him. We ignored God. We ignored Him and did what we want to do, and that's called sin. It's missing the mark. And because of that sin, the Bible tells us the wages of our sin is death. Like we deserve to die because we just sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And He cannot coexist with our sin. And so there's a problem. But God loves us so much that He lavished grace upon us by sending His Son Jesus to die in our place. And instead of us, on, on a cross called Calvary, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus shed his blood for whosoever will believe in him and confess him as Lord will be saved. This, the Bible makes us wise to that. Our salvation is not found in the next election. Our salvation is not found in a vaccine for a virus. Our salvation is not found in a stimulus check. Our salvation is not found in the one injustice that outdoes another. That's not where our salvation is found. Our salvation is found right here. Making us wise for salvation is the Word of God. Jesus the Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one who is the way and the truth and the life, Jesus uh, uh, who gave his life as a ransom for many, That there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. The Lord Jesus. And the Bible points us to that. That's what the Bible... It makes us wise for salvation. Hey, I want you to know that God wants you to be saved. God wants your children to be saved. God wants your grandchildren to be saved. He's done everything in His power. Everything. To ensure... That salvation is available to whosoever will so if at any time during this time you want to know how you can put your faith in christ you text connect to 79969 we have someone ready to talk to you we'd love to help you the gospel must never be passed up but it must be passed on to not only is Timothy to learn this and believe this and continue in it, he's to take it and to entrust it to other men who are also faithful to teach others, like discipleship, like accountability, like reproducibility, like sharing it with others. It does not end with us. It does not stop with us. Accountability is powerful. I want to show you how powerful it is. If, if you were to give a child a cookie, what do you think would happen? Give a little boy or girl a cookie, what are they going to do with that cookie? They're going to they're devour that cookie, right? Okay, well, there was a study done earlier this year, January of 2020. Man, wouldn't it be nice to go back to January 2020? That seemed like a millennial ago, doesn't it? January 2020, there were some kids, they paired up, they played a the game together, and then they gave every child a cookie. And they told some of the kids, they paired them up and they said, look, if you will hold on to this cookie and not eat it in 30 minutes we'll give you another cookie. And so what they did is they had all these kids on one side and they just let them stay by themselves in different rooms by themselves and gave them the cookie. Most of them ate the cookie immediately and did not wait 30 minutes for another cookie. But the group of kids that they paired up together like put a boy with a boy and a girl with a girl and gave them a cookie. And they said, look, what has to happen is both of you have to refrain from eating this cookie for 30 minutes and you'll get another cookie and most of those children waited because they didn't want to let their partner down that's the beauty of accountability doing life together a paul you need a timothy in your life that you're pouring into you need a paul in your life that's pouring into you you need a barnabas somebody encourage you and you need to encourage somebody That's what Paul and Timothy had, this relationship about being firmly grounded in the Word and passing on this good and great gospel. Change begins with us, it doesn't end with us. Number three, change is not up to us. You may say, well, that sounds kind of contradictory. If it begins with us and doesn't end with us, how is it not up to us? Well, it's not. Change. Yeah, we need to be willing to change, but the change is not something we produce. We are changed by grace alone. It is by the unmerited favor of God that we are changed. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. And God in His glory and grace changes us anyway. You know, it's it's, it's interesting when you look at Scripture. Think about Jonah. Jonah was told... I mean, think about this. Think about how complicated we are as people, right? (laughs) Think about it. Jonah was told by God, hey, you you go preach to Nineveh, and they are all going to be changed, like they're going to all repent. And Jonah said, no, thank you. No, thank you. But then, he, then God told Jeremiah, okay, Jeremiah, you go preach, and nobody's going to be changed. Nobody's going to repent. And Jeremiah said, okay, I'll go. Isn't that strange? How how can a God keep putting up with us? How can He be long suffering with us? How can He continue to be patient with us? How can He not say enough is enough and just wipe us out of existence? Grace. Undeserved, unmerited grace. And so here we see in verse 16 all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture. Is breathed out by God. This doesn't read, really, this is how change happens. It happens through Scripture. Now, this doesn't say all Scripture that's breathed out by God is profitable. That would seem to suggest that there are parts and pieces of the Bible that are not breathed out by God. And that is untrue. That is heresy. All Scripture is breathed out by God. That's what this From Genesis to Revelation, from Genesis 1 to the end of the Bible, all Scripture is breathed out by God. This is the infallible, inerrant, transparent word of the living God. Our final authority for what we believe and how we behave. It is breathed out by God. Now, the difference between breathed out and inspiration is subtle, but it's important here in this context. Inspired. Men were inspired by God to take the word of God and carried along by the Holy Spirit. God breathed out his word and they wrote it down. So inspired means to breathe into But this, what Paul's writing here is the idea of breathing out. Not inspire, but expire, like you breathe it out. Why is that important? Here's why. Because in this context, Paul is not talking about the men who wrote the words down. He's not talking about the writers who wrote it down. He's talking about what they wrote. And what they wrote is 100% breathed out by God alone. It is his word that created creation. It's his word that he spoke and there was light. It's his word that he speaks and all who hear and believe are saved. This is the word of God. Every scripture from Genesis to Revelation is breathed out by God. And it's profitable. means it's good. means it's useful. Like the word of God is good. And that's not only a good book, it's God's book, but it is good. (laughs) Like the word of God is good. Like even when your life is terrible, and it stinks, and it's bad, the Word of God is good. Even when we can't wait for hindsight to be the year 2020, God's Word is good. Even when monkeys escape from a lab in India carrying COVID-19 samples, and that's old news, God's Word is good. Even when murderous hornets are, treated, are considered like fleas because everything else is going on in the world, God's word is good. Even when it feels like we're in the middle of, of a game of Jumanji, right? That's what it feels like. We're playing Jumanji. God's word is still good. God's word is good and useful and profitable. Now, what's it useful for? What's it profitable for? Well, he tells us at the end of verse 16. Here we go. God's word tells us what is right what is not right, how to get right, how to stay right. In other words, God's Word tells us what is just, what is justice, what is injustice, what is not justice, how to be just, and how to stay just. If you want to know what justice is, if you want to know what injustice is, if you do to know what being just is, if you want to know what, being, what staying just is, then you need to refer to the Scripture. The Word tells us that. And, and here we go. Paul tells us right here. For all Scripture out of God, and it's good, it's useful, it's profitable for teaching. That's God tells us what is right. He tells us what is true and what is just. God tells us that. To do justice and walk humbly with your God. God tells us what is just. He tells us what is right. In fact, Tim Keller said it like this. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why accept anything that he said, the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. So he tells, the Bible tells what's right, what's true. Jesus really did bodily resurrect from the dead. Yes, that is true. Second thing the Bible does, it tells us what's not true, what's not just, what's not right. That word we see here is reproof. Right? And, and the idea is. Um, thinking like this injustice cannot be remedied by injustice one wrong, two wrongs can't make a right So we have to know what's right and what's wrong and the Bible tells us that what's just and unjust, what's true and untrue what's right and what's wrong number three, the Bible tells us how to get right that's correction here in the word it tells us how to, how, to, how to be just and how to get right think of it like this we all want justice in this world I mean who doesn't, right? we all want justice But bringing justice into a world, this world, a world that has rejected the only one who is just, rejected the justifier of sins, rejected the God of justice, that's just impossible. Like we can't have justice if we reject the one who is just. But with Jesus, with the justifier, with the God of justice, we can see glimpses of justice even in this tainted world. And one day, Every wrong will be made right. Jesus has promised it. So we know the Bible tells us what is just, what is not, how to be just, and then how to stay just. That's the last piece here in verse 16, training in righteousness. Like It teaches us how to stay right, to stay true, to stay just. In other words, let me say it to you like this. Any time is a good time to have quite a time, spending some time in the Word of God for your quiet time. So get after it, anytime, morning, noon, or night, anytime is a good time to have quiet a time, spending time in God's Word for a quiet time. Sure, we must be willing to change, but change is not up to us. It happens by way of the presence of the Holy Spirit that He convicts us of our sin. We recognize that. We, We are granted repentance, and we turn, and we repent, and God regenerates us, and He changes us through his word and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's how this happens. Last one, number four. Change can occur in any of us. So whether you're worshiping online at home, whether you're in the room, I want you to understand that any of us can change. I 100% believe that Jesus can change anyone, anywhere, at any time. You can change. Now, Paul says it like this. Uh, that that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I love that last phrase, every good work. It's the same that we see at the end of verse 21 in chapter two, where Paul says in Second Timothy 2, verse 21, he says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, anyone, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, like stop listening to the lies of the of the of the false teachers, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy useful to the master of house, ready for every good work. God's word equips us for every good work and any one of us can change at any time. So I want to challenge all of you who have not put your faith and trust in Jesus to stop gambling with your eternity. R.C. Ryle said it like this, of all the gambling in the world, there's none as reckless as that of a person who lives in such a way that they're not Prepared to meet God and who puts off repentance when it's granted. Stop gambling with your eternity and turn to Jesus. Consider him who, although equal with God, did not count equality equality, something to be grasped. So he made himself nothing, becoming a servant, humbling himself, and dying a death, even death on a cross for you and for me. So consider him. Consider Jesus, the one who rescued Paul from all of his persecutions and delivered him ultimately into eternity even after he was martyred for his faith. We want to help you make a decision to trust Jesus. Text CONNECT to 79969 to get more information about that. And if you're ready to do that, it's it's a simple prayer. If you believe it in your heart, you have to believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he did die for your sins and that he was buried and he did raised from life. And if you feel a, a conviction today about that and that's become real to you in your heart and you sincerely want to follow him and trust him, then if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, believing that, the Bible says you'll be saved. If you'll call on his name, call upon his name, that means trusting in and calling on his name. Faith means you believe the truth, but you also put your trust in that truth. So if you're ready to do that, all you have to do is pray a prayer, believing in your heart, Father, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus has come to forgive me of my sin through his death, burial, and resurrection. Please forgive me. I put my trust in him. I want to follow him as Lord. If you need help with that or you have questions about that, again, text CONNECT 799. Six, nine. Here's our takeaway for the whole morning, our whole day of worship today. In, in, in a sentence, build your life on the Bible. Build your life on the Bible. Why should I do that? Well, The reason you should build your life on the Bible is, first of all, the Bible tells us what will happen. The Holy Spirit, through Paul, has been very truthful here. He has told us in the last days there's going to be difficulty. He's told us that... Anyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The Bible is very transparent. It always tells you the truth. Jesus is the only one who can rescue you. That all scripture is breathed out by God. This is truth. So it always tells us what will happen. Secondly, the Bible tells us how change happens. How a person is changed from the inside out. If you'd like to know more about that, text CONNECT 79969. Here's the bottom line. Either you believe the Bible is the Word of God, or you don't. Either you believe the Bible is our final authority for what we believe and how we behave, or you don't. Either you believe the Bible lays out for us the plan of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, or you don't. Either you believe the Bible is profitable to equip us to live a life pleasing to the Lord, or you don't. So, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're in the room worshiping with us, if you're at home worshiping with us, I'm going to ask all of us to stand up. Just stand on your feet. I want to ask you four questions. And after each question, I'm going to ask you to respond. If you feel comfortable responding, do so. If not, don't. All right? Standing up, I just want everybody to stand up and ask you these four questions. And if you agree, say word up and I'll lead you through this, okay? Four questions about the Bible. Number one. Do you believe that the Bible is the Word of God? If so, say, word up. Do you believe that the Bible is truth without any error? If so, say, word up. Do you believe that the Bible reveals the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? If so, say, word up. Do you believe that the Bible is able to equip you to live a life that pleases the Lord? If so, say, word up. So, hey, if you believe that, then let's all build our life on the Bible. Like, build your life on the Bible by getting into it and letting it get into you. By breathing in what God has breathed out. By inhaling what God has exhaled. Like, build your life on the Bible by not being ashamed of it. By cherishing it. By delighting in it. By doing it. By engaging it. Build your life on the Bible by frequenting it. By by hearing it. By journaling through it. Build your life on the Bible by living it, by memorizing it, by meditating on it, by by praying it, by posting it, by sharing it, by reading it, by texting it, by telling it, by tweeting it, by, by Zooming it, whatever you can do with it. Get the Word out. Build your life on the Bible by not getting into this world's amazing grace before you get into the Word's amazing grace. Build your life on the Bible by muting all the babble and unmuting the Bible. Build your life on the Bible by unsubscribing from this or that YouTube channel and subscribing to the book of Daniel. Build your life on the Bible by journaling through the Word while we're sojourning in this world. Build your life on the Bible by by not panicking in, in this flesh but finding peace in the one who became flesh. Like, build your life on the Bible by not working to open Reddit before you open the Word to read it. Like, build your life on the Bible by not rioting over what is wrong in the world, but by being right by what is written in the Word. Build your life on the Bible. Trust Jesus. If not for the first time, do it now. Text Connect. We'd love to connect with you. Whatever decision, when you text Connect, you'll get information on how to let us know. Whatever decision you made today whatever you'd like to do in response to the word today you need to respond so text to that.